Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jared Serbu. Glad you're with us this week. Later on in the program, we will take a deep dive into the status of one of the biggest IT network transformations going on in DoD at the moment. Major General Kevin Kennedy, the Assistant Deputy Air Force CIO for Digital Transformation, joins us for the latest on Enterprise IT as a Service. First up, though, the Pentagon's Inspector General has released its latest compendium of all the recommendations it's made in recent years that DOD still hasn't resolved. And by numerous measures, things are getting worse, not better. For example, there are more than twice as many recommendations that have been awaiting attention for five years or more than there were at this time last year. Troy Meyer is the Principal Assistant Inspector General for Audit. He talked with me about some of the takeaways from this year's compendium. Troy, let me just start by asking you the big picture question of, of, I mean, what this year's compendium looks like compared to last year. Certainly some of the numbers are bigger, and we can maybe get into that in more detail. But as, as you look at the, the whole compendium, what jumps out at you in terms of differences or, or trends? Well, uh, what, what jumped out at us is the limited progress the department has made in implementing our, our recommendations. Uh, within the, the first two years of us issuing a recommendation, the department has actually done a good job of implementing the recommendation. But after the two-year mark, the progress does slow, and uh, the number of aged recommendations, number of recommendations that are over five years old, is growing at an increasing uh, pace. Just to give you an example, uh, this year we reported 170 recommendations that were over uh, five years old. Last year that number was 80, and that number, uh, the, the 170 number, has uh, tripled uh, since we first started uh, tracking uh, recommendations over five years old in, in 2018. So what that tells us, more attention uh, needs to be paid uh, by on the part of the department on those older recommendations. Yeah, that 80 last year versus 170 this year certainly jumped out at me also. Is there, I'm sure this is multifactorial, but is is there any coherent explanation for that? I mean, you said things tend to get lost after two years or so. Any theories as to why that might be the case? Well, some some recommendations are more complex than others, but we noticed the biggest challenge uh, does uh, pertain to the implementation or revision of policies, procedures, and, and guidance. Of the 170 recommendations, 65 are related to revising and implementing uh, guidance. Uh, the Army uh, owns the largest number of recommendations over five years old, and they also own the oldest recommendation. That was from a, a report that was issued in 2006 uh, regarding the uh, revision of policy related to uh, security uh, background checks. Uh, That recommendation was made uh, to other components within the department, and they implemented uh, interim guidance. The Army did not, and 14 years later, that uh, updated guidance is uh, undergoing a legal sufficiency review. And when we look at cases where recommendations have gone unaddressed for long periods of time, is it mostly the case that the department has agreed to take action in accordance to what you've recommended and just hasn't yet? Or there are a lot of cases where they've just flat out disagreed with the recommendations and and so they're probably never going to get corrected. Um, actually, uh, for the most part, the, the agency has agreed with our, our recommendations. I think of the, the 1,600 uh, recommendations that we reported, uh, well over 1,400 of them the department uh, agreed with. So it is a, more of a matter of taking timely uh, action to imp- implement those recommendations. 
the uh, the issues in the compendium obviously span the entire breadth and depth of what the department does and and what your oversight role is. So it's really hard to to get into a lot of details on what's open. But I but I would like to talk about the process a little bit, by which I mean the process by which you interact with DOD and try to try to tackle some of these longstanding issues. What does that look like? What are the interfaces and relationships between the OIG and DOD management to try to hopefully make progress against these? Well, after our uh, the issuance of our first uh, compendium, uh, the Secretary of Defense uh, directed the chief management uh, officer to uh, get a handle on our open recommendations. So each month uh, we get together with uh, representatives from the Office of the Chief Management Officer and senior leadership within the department. Uh, to uh, review uh, the open recommendations. And, and basically, we uh, try to get a commitment from the department on when the imp- uh, recommendations will be implemented. Uh, one of the things that came out in the compendium is that the Air Force and the Army uh, has made a lot of progress in implementing our, our recommendations. And the reason is, uh, one, tone at the top. Uh, the Secretary of the Air Force uh, a few uh, years ago uh, made it a priority to uh, implement OIG recommendations and tasked the uh, uh, Air Force Auditor General to take the lead in working within the department to ensure our recommendations were uh, implemented and to ensure that we get the documentation demonstrating implementation of those recommendations. The Army has a similar process uh, where the Army Auditor General or the Army Inspector General works within the department to ensure the implementation of our recommendations and that we get the documentation necessary. That doesn't, uh, that mechanism uh, isn't consistent throughout the department. Uh, For example, uh, the Navy has lagged behind in implementing our recommendations. Last year, the responsibility for implementing OIG recommendations oversight of that was transferred to the uh, Navy Auditor General. And we have a new Navy Auditor General, and we're uh, optimistic that we can make some progress over the next year. So roughly the same process that's been successful in the Army and the Air Force? There, there is a, a mechanism I understand where, where if you, you really don't get any progress or get any satisfaction at lower levels, issues can be raised all the way up to the deputy secretary level. And I'm just curious how often that happens with any particular recommendation. Uh, it it hasn't happened. There is a reluctance to uh, raise issues uh, to the uh, deputy secretary. We try to uh, resolve issues at the at the lowest possible level, uh, but you know they they do get uh, raised to various uh, levels uh, within the within the department up to the uh, chief management uh, officer uh, level, um, and we do try to resolve uh, a lot of those recommendations at at that level. So back to numbers issues here. In in 2019, there were 30 recommendations that the OIG designated as high priority that warranted priority attention by the services and DOD components. This year, there's 35. Maybe just talk a little bit about the process by which you decide things, you know, warrant that high priority attention and, and maybe give us a few examples of, of things that have risen to that level. When we uh, when we identify high priority recommendations, uh, some of the things that we consider are the age of the recommendation, the congressional interest, the benefits that we believe the department will achieve by implementing uh, the recommendation, and the department's progress in implementing the recommendation. We also try to uh, get a cross section of recommendations that represent our uh, top management challenges, uh, which is a report that we issue uh, every uh, year. 
The the department, uh, in in our opinion, has made limited progress in implementing these recommendations. Uh, we, had, you know, as you mentioned, we identified uh, 30 last year. We are carrying over uh, 21 recommendations uh, from last year to to this year. Uh, the department has implemented five recommendations, and we believe in the other four, they um, they were making progress, and that's why we didn't include those recommendations. Uh, an example uh, would be uh, a, a report we issued last year on excess profits earned by uh, the Transdime uh, Corporation on uh, sole source uh, spare parts. Uh, even though the contracting officers uh, did what they were supposed to and followed the FAR, um, Transdime, uh, we reported that Transdime earned uh, excess profits, and we recommended that the department look at the uh, laws and regulations regarding what uh, a company has to provide uh, when it's a sole source uh, award. Otherwise, this is uh, the this is going to continue. This type of thing where uh, companies are earning excess profits are going to continue on these types of uh, uh, spare parts. Uh, another uh, high priority recommendation is an evaluation we issued on uh, service law enforcement agencies uh, providing fingerprint cards and uh, final disposition reports to, to the FBI. Uh, what we found is these were not being consistently done, and if the FBI doesn't have uh, those records, it could impede uh, a criminal investigation. The Transdime case, if memory serves, I, I think there was at least a suggestion in that report that laws might need to be changed, which is obviously something that apartment can't do. So if the OIG recommends that you know statutory changes might be necessary and Congress doesn't change the statute, I assume that's not something you're going to ding the department for. Um, well, you know, we, we, we expect the department to take the recommendation as far as, as they can. And if the law uh, can't be changed, then, uh, that, then we would close that out. How much attention have you seen toward, I mean, you said, you said it's certainly not been enough progress, but is there a way to characterize whether the attention toward closing those high priority recommendations seems to be increasing, decreasing over the past couple of years? Um, we think uh, more attention should be uh, paid to those those high priority recommendations. Um, like I said, last year uh, we had 30 uh, high priority recommendations. We carried over uh, 21. Uh, only five of those uh, 30 were were closed out. Uh, these are very important recommendations. We believe these are the recommendations that the department should focus on uh, because of, of life and safety issues or potential savings uh, to the department. Uh, just to give you another example, um, we uh, did an audit in 2014 on the billings and, and collection of funds for medical and dental services at uh, military treatment facilities. We uh, identified over 73 million uh, in charges that were more than 180 days old uh, that were delinquent and needed to be transferred to the Department of Treasury for uh, collection. Uh, these, these accounts were not. Uh, so there's 73 million uh, in delinquent payments uh, that could put potentially come back uh, to the department uh, by implementing our, our recommendations. But, you know, the, the internal control deficiencies that we identified will uh, continue, and this number could grow um, if, if those internal control deficiencies are, are not uh, fixed. You started off this conversation with a note of a little bit of frustration that the department is not making progress as quickly as it could be. And, and I just wonder... Is that an indication to you that this this compendium 
may not be serving its original purpose, which I which I think is to to shine a light on issues that still need attention and, and give you a mechanism to work closely with the department on how to solve some of these problems that have been going on for, especially the ones that have been going on for five years or more. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of backing into this question, but but why spend the time and effort to put together this 500-page compendium? I'm sure it requires a fair amount of bandwidth out of your office. What, what is, what's the overall value and, and intent behind it? It's critical that the department use its money uh, wisely, that Warfighter gets the tools that they need to complete their missions, and that uh, the military members uh, get the health care uh, that they need. And the department um, is a good steward of taxpayer dollars. Okay, that's what these recommendations can do, but they can only uh, that can only be done if the department implements these recommendations. Uh, another uh, value uh, for uh, of the compendium is that department leadership changes, and the department leadership uh, needs to know what they are responsible for implementing, and that's what this compendium does. You know, 1,600 open recommendations that the department is responsible to to implement. That's Troy Meyer, the principal assistant DoD inspector general for on it, talking with me about this year's edition of the OIG's Compendium of Open Recommendations. We'll post a link to that document at federalnewsnetwork.com slash ondod. Short break, and when we return, we'll dig into the latest on the Air Force's ongoing effort to turn much of the day-to-day management of its IT networks over to private industry. This is On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serville. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Servu. Within the next five years, it's entirely possible that private companies, not government personnel, will be handling the lion's share of the labor when it comes to the day-to-day operation of the military's enterprise IT networks. The Navy Department, of course, went down that path 20 years ago now with its Navy Marine Corps intranet, but the Army and the Air Force are both pursuing initiatives they call Enterprise IT as a Service. Both of the services are still very much in learning mode right now, but they're both fairly sure that industry can do a better job of delivering enterprise IT than they can themselves. To get a look at the Air Force's perspective on this, we're going to spend the rest of this hour with Major General Kevin Kennedy. He's the Assistant Deputy Air Force CIO for Digital Transformation. He spoke with my colleague, Jason Miller. I uh, provide the headquarters Air Force level oversight of the activity and and ensure that the coordination um, across the Air Force happens to roll out enterprise um, information technology as a service or um, EIT as a service. And in that role, I, I, I handle the uh, the costing, um, the forecasting for our budgeting, and also the um, the strategy and the vision of where we want to take um, the, the initiative. We're closely partnered um, with Air Combat Command uh, just down the street at, at Langley Air Force Base and also um, with our acquisition professionals up at uh, Hanscom Air Force Base um, are the key other uh, teammates that we have in rolling this out. And, and so what I do in there is I look across the portfolios and to make sure of how we're going to essentially provide information technology um, to our airmen um, and also in the Space Force and in the Air Force uh, to make sure that we're ready to accomplish the mission. And the, I'm also dual-hatted on the, uh, on the headquarters Air Force staff um, over in the A26. I'm also the um, assistant um, Deputy Chief of Staff for Cyber Effects Operations. In that role, I'm thinking more about how we're going to leverage the network that we're fielding, leverage the information technology and the capabilities and applications it supports um, in the 
in warfighter communications and in cyber effects operations. So when the Air Force's perspective on offensive cyber operations and defensive cyber operations, I also uh, bring that perspective to my job. All right, big job, lot, lot to talk about. When you talk about, when, when you deal with the forecasting of budget, of strategy, of vision, enterprise IT as a service is very interesting because this is not one of those things where you guys are saying, okay, let's just move to email in the cloud or let's, let's pick up these applications and put them over here. It's actually an experiment in many ways, a proof of concept. Can you talk about how the strategy, the vision, the budgeting kind of deals with the fact that this in many ways is an experiment? So it is, uh, we are in a risk reduction um, phase right now. And what we're looking at doing there is understanding how do we procure information technology um, with the capabilities, modern 21st century tools um, in a way that leverages industries, excel, um, speed of delivery and uh, innovation, um, leverages the innovation we have inside the service and also takes best advantage of the uh, military and civilian um, airmen that we have working um, in the field. And, and so, about five to 10 years ago in that time frame, as information technology became more than just email and as, as the service became, came to recognition that this, the way we collaborate and share information is going to become even more critical to our operation. It was always a key element um, in war fighting, but as we go forward, we see that the, the availability of information and the ability to communicate um, at speeds and with more resiliency is gonna become even more of a dimension of future warfare. So as the, as the CIO, we looked toward and said, how do we provide that for the force? And we figured that we, what we needed now had been um, largely under-resourced, and we had accepted risk there as we had gone through various budgeting cycles um, to make sure that we had the lethality and the fielding of the systems that we needed um, to fight and win our nation's wars. Now, as we're going forward, we see those wars changing slightly. We still have a need for a highly um, to be, have a high-end uh, force with some significant kinetic capabilities, but we also have to think through how those non-kinetic capabilities integrate, and a lot of them that do leverage um, our, our information technology and our networks, and also um, how do we enable command and control and joint air all-domain command and control in a way um, that would enable that speed of decision that the future of warfare is going to, to require. So when we when we look at that from that perspective, we decided that. Um, uh, the way we were providing it right now um, wasn't necessarily keeping up with the pace that industry could provide it. And we didn't want to necessarily have industry just come in and do a, a traditional acquisition of we set very definitive requirements for so many users at so much time with so much capabilities um, and then procure set out a contract that then puts folks in seats to do that type of activity. What we wanted is to consume it as a service. So as the industry model changes, we can also pivot. And, and as we can consume it at the number and tailor it to the wing that we're supporting. And so that was, that's truly what we're looking at um, as we're moving forward. And so when we're thinking through that, there's a few things that we needed as we're in this experiment that we're focusing on. Um, and really the first one that I'd like to emphasize is um, we're, we're looking at the maturity level of what that capability is that we're fielding. So as we're, as we're fielding a capability and uh, across the portfolio, we want to make sure that the solution that industry can provide is mature enough to meet the rigors and, and resilience that we need for our force. The other part, this is a very big shift in the way you approach security um, on our network. And, and really, we're looking at how we enable a pivot um, from boundary defense more towards data-centric defense and more towards a zero trust approach. And so that's a heavy engagement with our industry partners and with 16th Air Force and US Cyber Command um, and just to understand how do we do that and move forward. 
The other part of it is information technology is absolutely vital to our airmen getting their mission done. It's a, it's a time consideration, but it's also how do they get access to the information um, so they can turn aircraft, fly satellites, um, make sure our airmen are well-trained and prepared to, uh, to fight and win. And so we need to think through of how, that, uh, how the actual information technology is performing. So that's one of the other key things that we're looking at measuring is how do we, how do we get, gauge the performance of our information technology. And the other last one, as in most things, um, we have to make sure we're getting return on investment for the taxpayer and that the solution is affordable. Um, the, the way that we model and cost this has to be um, laser focused on getting the most value um, that we can out of the dollars that we spend and understanding how we can move those the spend, whether it's at wing level or at corporate uh, Air Force level, or whether what the capability we provide is tailored um, for the airmen for what they need. They have the capabilities they need, but we don't necessarily uh, procure one size fits all across the force. I want to go back to one thing you just said about affordability and cost model. This concept of as a service is not necessarily new, the concept, the, the broad concept. We've seen it over the years as alternative service providers. We've seen it over the years as seat management. We've seen it over the years as the, you know, the COCO model, right? Government contractor owned, contractor operated, or the government owned, contractor operated model, NMCI. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Is that the piece here of, of why enterprise IT as a service is also different? Because a lot of those previous attempts maybe weren't affordable or the model just maybe didn't jive well with what the needs of the agency was. But now with the technology changing and the cloud, that's why this model potentially has a more likelihood of succeeding. Um, Jason, I think there's a lot of truth in that um, question is, you know, where the technology has come and, and where what the cloud enables us to do, um, I think does enable um, less of a capital investment potentially into um, into information technology services, you know, numbers of data centers and things like that, we can think differently about it. Um, the, but I want to emphasize too, we're not looking, this isn't necessarily a cost savings. I mean, there's a, there's two challenges that the Air Force asked us to look at. Um, one of them was a, a capability improvement that the information technology, um, the speed and resilience of it needed to improve. And the other part was um, they wanted the most modern is a modernization aspect, the most modern um, kind of capabilities that were out there. And so where we are on the, on the model is understanding um, what do we need to have built in acquisition roles that incentivizes the right behavior. So I think a lot of our risk reduction effort is also looking at how do we, how do we write contracts in a way that don't disincentivize the outcomes that we're looking for. And then sometimes that uh, um, our industry partners, you know, are, are are executing the contract vehicle we put forward to them, and we want to make sure that we had, those are structured in a way that doesn't necessarily have and, uh, undetermined second and third order of effects. The other part of it is we need to make sure that um, we want to not have a vendor lock situation as we're going in. We want to make sure that our data is mobile, um, it's portable. If we need to go a different way, we can. Um, and, and we see in the as-a-service model, and, and as we consume it, um, that gives us a lot of flexibility uh, as we're going forward there. So I think those are the, the two reasons why, you know, now is a little different in time, um, but I think your insight about the cloud maturity and our ability to leverage that, I think that does give us some opportunities that we didn't have before because of the capital investment. It's actually a great segue. Some of the benefits, some of the metrics of success that you're seeing, it seems to be the vendor lock-in, the data mobility, the as-a-service model. Those are both the benefits, but also some of the metrics you're paying close attention to. Are there others that you want to highlight? There, there's the, the kind of mission readiness metrics that we look at, to, which is 
Um, one of the, at the core is how, how do our airmen perceive their information technology and is it supporting their mission? So we, we see this as a readiness issue and that's one of the, uh, one of the things that we're capturing with a, a pretty um, robust, from my experience in the Air Force, um, regime of, of surveying our airmen as they're out there consuming across the um, Air Force networks and as well as at the uh, risk reduction um, basis. So that's one of the other things that we're, um, that we're specifically capturing in this um, exercise. And then not necessarily a metric, one of the things also during risk reduction is the lessons learned on the execution side of the house um, with respect to um, um, with respect to the acquisition vehicles that we are going to roll out as we look to go to production um, in 22 and 23, as we look to change from our risk reduction effort to to whatever our production um, vehicle and how that that enterprise is going to look, and then also um, we need to look through of how the security um, conops development is another metric, the maturity model of that of how we do incident response, um, where are the lines between industry and app cyber um, are to make sure that we have uh, the ability um, to continue to maneuver and when necessary um, uh, take action on our networks um, if adversaries are inside and, and trying to access our data or prevent uh, prevent operation of our network. That's Major General Kevin Kennedy, the Assistant Deputy Air Force CIO for Digital Transformation, talking with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. More of that conversation after another quick break. This is On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbian. Thanks for listening to On DoD on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu. As we get back to our conversation with Major General Kevin Kennedy, the Assistant Deputy Air Force CIO for Digital Transformation. He talked with Federal News Network's Jason Miller about the Air Force's Enterprise IT as a Service initiative. One of the things you bring up about the mission readiness, can we, can we look into that a little bit just more? Um, everything, it seems like, agencies do these days talks about this readiness issue and this idea of how does this IT meet mission, which is another reason I think things are different today than they have been over the past, you know, 15, 20 years. When you talk about capturing the, the surveying your, the airmen and uh, understand both across the networks and at risk reduction basis, can you talk a little bit more about how that survey works and maybe even just at a high level, some of the things you're learning from those airmen? Absolutely. So one of the, uh, it's the first time I've seen this rolled out in my career um, in the past 30 years, but it's a, it's, I think it's a survey that most of your listeners uh, would be familiar with. It's, uh, it, as you're on working on the network, it's a series of questions that ask you your know, satisfaction level um, with, the, with the network and if, uh, you know, kind of a, a question tree that leads you down um, a path if there is. And then the places where we really like to mine to, to kind of get a sense is the, um, the free response. Um, and so when we look through this free response, we're looking for, you know, how many times things are mentioned um, and how many times the, um, you know, in a positive or negative manner. Um, most of the time, the folks that take, the, you know, there are folks that like to, uh, our airmen like to come out and highlight a lot of the positive things in their comments. But there also is a, that's where we find the, the real pain points usually come out in those comments to understand um, where we are in our network. And what we were finding is the way in the past, um, you know, decades, the way we've constructed the AFNET has been successful in, in many ways, um, but it also has created a, a non-efficient uh, transactional path in some ways, um, just as different capabilities and, and as we cobbled together um, different parts of the network to form um, the AFNET. It's uh, always continually improving in our Cyber Capability Center in the lead with Air Combat Command and others um, helping us get there. 
Um, but that's one of the things that we determined from the network, um, from those responses and enabled us to really look at, at some of the pain points that were enabled, um, you know, slow access to email, slow access to information in our Office 365 environment. Um, and then recently, in the last couple of weeks, we've gone through and simplified that transactional path within the Air Force. Um, where so for some of our airmen, it was 48 um, potential steps to get in and back from there with their information. We were able to, to bring that down to um, 20 to 25, depending on how you're accessing the network and, and what information you were trying to, to use. Um, so that was uh, one of the things that the survey helped us um, identify. The other part of that in that is we continue to look through that transactional space and, and focus on our airmen and their ability to leverage the network on and influence their readiness um, was the end user devices that they were using and, and truly understanding if the if our tech refresh rates were, were keeping up with the capabilities that we are also looking to explore um, and the kind of tools that we're using in the cloud. And so that was one of the other things that we, we highlighted that as we do our follow-on tech refreshes to, to, to look at what are the baseline capabilities that we want um, in our tablets or our laptops or our desktops. And so that was another one of the positive outcomes. As you guys have rolled out Enterprise IT as a service, there's obviously a lot of things that are happening at once. I think you guys have three or four different proofs of concepts, three at the risk reduction basis, and then you're working with some other agencies, whether it's uh, on the user um, desktop management side or even with Google looking at potential move to zero trust. Give me a sense of, of what are some of those broad challenges you faced and, and how has the coronavirus pandemic, if at all, added to those challenges or impacted the program? So first of all, the, some of the broad challenges of moving towards um, an ITAS environment is just the uh, the cultural change is the first one. The technology, um, I think industry and the Air Force, we understand um, where we needed to take uh, where we need to take the enterprise to enable us to consume um, network as a service, for example, with our two primary partners there uh, being um, AT&T and Microsoft. And so um, we understood that I think the technological solution was understood, though though not simple. Um, it says you enable Air Force information to leave an Air Force base area network into um, into an AT&T or Microsoft network, and we're still in the you know still in the early stages of doing that up to full capacity. Although just on May 29th, we we're able to approve um, both uh, Offutt Air Force Base and Buckley Air Force Base to go from a 10% uh, capacity on their network as a service up to um, up toward 100% capacity, um, that throttle being uh, guided by a 16th Air Force down at AppCyber. And so that was one of the things as we're looking through that is like, what's the cultural transformation um, that we had to think through. The other part is, as you would expect, is um, there is a stakeholder engagement piece um, that we needed to um, really focus on between industry, um, the base level, um, airmen that are that are working toward this new way of information technology, as well as at, at the headquarters level and the MAGCOM level to make sure that all of the stakeholders across the environment understand what we're trying to do. The key here to go back to the costing is we are looking to provide services at an enterprise level and cost and resource them there where previously may have been the requirement of the MAGCOMs, the major commands in the United States Air Force to do that. Um, with that will come some expectation that the resourcing will also move to headquarters. And with that comes the responsibility for the headquarters to, to make sure the major commands understand what we're doing with those resources and are fully involved in those decision making. So it's a, that the governance model that we're employing is an incredibly um, significant part. As far as over the last couple of months now um, with the coronavirus 
um, response. Um, what we found is our industry partners um, were able to continue uh, moving along on many, if not all, of the lines of effort as we're, we're going forward. The, obviously, some of the mobility requirements across the nation as far as folks physically moving um, was limited. Um, so some of the activities uh, may have taken a, a little longer timeline, but uh, we, can, uh, we, can, we think we can make that up in schedule as we move forward. But it's something that we're monitoring. Um, but the folks that were already rolled out capabilities, for example, at Buckley Air Force Base, um, the networking, <coughs> excuse me, the base area networking support um, that uh, AT&T was providing there um, was able to, to come into this new environment and help the base uh, think through how they provide um, virtual private network access in different places that weren't on the base before and roll that out. Also, how to provide um, extended uh, CIPRANET classified networking into other spaces um, to help with the dispersing around the base and so we decrease density or make it um, possible to work from a remote station um, across the base as we're going there. And additionally, um, SAIC, who's leading um, a, one of our efforts as far as our, our service desk responses or IT uh, SM um, functions, they were also stayed up and running fully through that and helped us quite a bit um, with the Buckley Air Force Base on their, their virtual private network responses. Um, so what we saw during the, uh, the pandemic industry um, was able to continue to provide the services much like in, we saw industry providing an incredible amount of telecom um, support to the nation. Um, the, our partners in ITAS were able to do the same um, for our bases. Major General Kevin Kennedy is the Assistant Deputy Air Force CIO for Digital Transformation. Talking there with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. A bit more of their conversation on the Air Force's Enterprise IT as a Service initiative after one more break. This is on DOD, on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Jared Servin. Back on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we wrap up our conversation with Major General Kevin Kennedy, the Assistant Deputy Air Force CIO for Digital Transformation. He talked with Federal News Network's Jason Miller about the Air Force's Enterprise IT as a Service initiative. You mentioned the Offit and Buckley Air Force bases basically going from 10% to about 100% or close to a, a capacity for network as a service. What does that mean? Break that down maybe to the next level about is it just better, faster capabilities, more capabilities? What, they're, what we're trying to see there is how, the, um, how we can leverage a different transactional path with different security devices um, that will enable us to leverage their network, their network security, um, to see if that does help with the, the user, um, uh, the, our airmen, as they're, try, as they're leveraging inf information technology, if they see that access. And where we think we will we'll see that um, first is um, we are, the Air Force is uh, pretty close to wholly in an Office 365-based, um, uh, cloud-based environment um, for our collaboration tools. And we're, that's where we're really focusing on is as we as our airmen use those tools to perform their missions and uh, basic collaboration with uh, email teams and the like, um, we are looking to see if we're leveraging their networks, their cloud access points, the um, different um, internet access points um, versus the ones on the, the Dodum uh, transactional path to see if there's a difference and, and also make sure that we're comfortable with the security on that path um, as we're transitioning along. So that's what we expect, uh, that's how we expect that to, to see that difference in speed a function, um, as well as increased collaboration capabilities. Sir, we're about five minutes left, and before I let you go, I definitely want to touch upon, walk me through, if we have this conversation in, in a year from now and five years from now, 
the, the future network of the Air Force, what will it look like? What will it mean to the airmen? So in, in a year from now, our expectation is to be in a place that we have the planning and the waterfall as we're going to um, have the strategies in place to roll um, ITAS across the force. It won't be in the entire um, force, the Air and Space Force. Not every um, member of both services will have that, but we're looking to have our planning and our acquisition strategy well aligned, our manning strategy um, well aligned, and our cost strategy well aligned. And so from a year from now, that uh, sounds like a heavy lift, and it is, um, but that's where we're looking to be um, in a year as we're going. Five years from now, um, we look to have what we're going to have for capability as in an as-a-service model um, fully up and running. Um, we are still in risk reduction, and so we have to understand as we look at our lines of efforts with this compute and store, uh, network as a service, and user services as a service of what capabilities that we do continue as a service model and what we find um, that for whatever reasons, whether it be the acquisition, the cost model, or the capability um, wasn't able to close on that, then we'll, we'll be able to roll that out to the force. Um, but it, I don't want to leave your listeners with the impression that it's going to be um, all lines of effort, all fully as a service. We're still very much have an open mind about how we're going to be able to provide the capabilities. But the bottom line is that our our major commands and their their leadership, the, the uh, lieutenant generals and generals that lead those commands, have challenged the CIO and, and the air staff to, to provide um, a capability that enables mission readiness for the future of the 21st century's fight. And what we find there is that we're going to have to field and resource 21st century capabilities um, to do that. And that is what the CIO is focused on in five years from now. Um, that capabil those capabilities should be across this Air Force and the Space Force. The big aspect of this is also um, what do our airmen do um, within the field of information technology service delivery? And going forward, our military and civilian airmen will still have a role, although our vision for this is it would be a decreased role as we require the, our airmen to be more adversary focused in the space and we need to figure out how we can move them more into defensive cyber operations and mission assurance and for the primary vehicle of that being our mission defense teams that we're looking to roll out across the Air Force to ensure that we can generate air and space power um, across the Department of the Air Force. And so that is one of the aspects of that that we're, we're looking forward is how do we take our, our workforce along with us. We will, we will still have airmen um, that will be involved um, with information technology, um, but the numbers will decrease and then also the focus um, will become more adversary focused and in integration of our warfighting capabilities um, rather than on, on pure service delivery. Um, but that's uh, something I think is a growth area and, and every, the airmen across the enterprise are very excited about it. There's a similar effort going on at the Army. We know that the Navy has, got, has been down paths with NMCI, now NGEN. I'm sure there's the fourth estate that's working on very similar consolidation efforts. Walk me through how you all are, are working with those other services and, and sharing those lessons you've learned and, and pulling in their lessons learned. How's that communication happening? Right. So the, uh, that is uh, absolutely partnering, um, looking across the department for lessons learned. And as we constructed our as a service uh, approach to this, we, you know, one of our first conversations was with the uh, with the Navy to understand um, what they felt that was well executed and what they felt they would change if they had to um, go back and do it again. And as as you mentioned, we have a new model that was wasn't necessarily allowed when, uh, when the Navy started this. Um, also, one of the key points was looking at how they rolled out their change management, how they rolled out across their workforce. Um, all of those lessons um, from the Navy, uh, we took them on board and are making sure that we're paying attention to them as we move forward. 
with the Army. The Army has partnered extremely closely with us um, and has their own uh, partnered initiative, um, slightly different approach, but they are um, working with us and to the point of that the Army has embedded um, liaison officers with our office, uh, with our integrated program office up at uh, Hanscom and to make sure that we stay well aligned as we're going forward and to enable the collaboration and coordination across the department. Um, we have provide occasional updates to DOD CIO. Um, we also have a, um, I think a couple, you know, every other month or so we get together with um, with DISA just to make sure and the uh, and the, the Army and the Air Force to make sure that we are understanding where we are and, and to see if there's any friction points um, that we need to work through as far as uh, coordinating some of the technological solutions or some of the policies across um, between uh, Air Force, DOD, CIO, and DISA to make sure that we're moving out. Um, one of the things that the, the Air Force that we signed up with um, with DOD, CIO is as we look at our security requirements, it would the commercial solution needs to be equivalent or better, and that's one of the things that we're holding very fast to as we go forward. And the, and the other mechanism that we do to, to ensure that is internal to the Air Force is we have operational readiness reviews as we roll out key capabilities, and one of the very um, significant discussions that we have during those reviews is the security posture as we're moving forward. Um, but that is, uh, that's how we're looking to stay synced across the department um, and transparent, and, and like you mentioned, our key partners there, DISA, uh, DOD CIO, U.S. Cyber Command, and the U.S. Army. When you work with the Army or when you work with the other agencies, are they uh, on, if you will, on the floor with you? It's not a watch floor like we have with cybersecurity, but or is it through these meetings that you tend to kind of catch up each other on progress and challenges and, and potholes to avoid? How often? Right. Go ahead. Yeah. So, Jason, so the, the primary mechanism is they're integrated into our uh, the Army is in, inside of our integrated program office, and we're also um, working with DISA to have a, a field office at DISA for, I, uh, for inter enterprise IT as a service um, up at Fort Meade and, and whether um, have a dedicated person that's identified there that's going to be an Air Force representative um, through that. So that's one of the things that we came out with from our last integration meeting um, with DISA, and, and we uh, rogered up that we wanted to um, um, provide uh, that connectivity. Still working through the details, but that is the intent. But the the Army already has uh, someone embedded up with us at Hanscom, and we also have um, the ability to embed DISA um, as we move forward if that becomes a demand signal as well. It's Major General Kevin Kennedy, the Assistant Deputy Air Force CIO for Digital Transformation, talking about the Enterprise IT as a Service Initiative with Federal News Network's Jason Miller. That discussion was part of a bigger series of interviews Federal News Network conducted with leaders from across the Air Force about ITAS. You can find the rest of them in an ebook we recently published at federalnewsnetwork.com. Just search ITAS. Earlier in the hour, we talked with Troy Meyer, the Principal Assistant DOD Inspector General for Audit, about the DODIG's latest compendium of unresolved recommendations. If you missed that conversation, we'll post this week's full program, as always, at federalnewsnetwork.com slash ondod. Also find us in our podcast feed. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbia. So long. You've been listening to On DoD on Federal News Network. Tune in Wednesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.